Okay. So that was the Mishnah. And now we pick up from the Gemara three lines from the bottom. Again, today's daf is daf Lamed Aleph. So let's talk for a minute before we start the Gemara. Let's talk for a minute. There's two main Yesaidas from the Gemara today. Two big Yesaidas. Here's Yesaid number one. Let me ask you a question. If you take out a mortgage on a home, we're going to talk a lot of business today, all right? If you take out a mortgage on a home, who owns the home? Do we view it that the borrower owns the home, yet the home is there as a guarantee to the lender? That if I don't pay back, they can come and collect the home from me. That's one way to view it. Seder, I'm lender. I have the home. Do we view it that it's taka my home? Except the lender can take the home if I ever don't pay them back. Or do we say that no. If I borrow money and the home is there as a guarantee to the lender... The lender owns the home until I've paid it off. Meaning, if a home ever goes into foreclosure, do you view it that the bank owned it all along and they're just taking something that's theirs? Forget the word repossessing because that's used loosely. Or do we say, no, it's not theirs all along. I borrowed money. I bought the home. It's my home. Except the home is there, thank you, the home is there as a guarantee. Okay, that is Shaila number one that we're going to be discussing. I want to introduce another Yisayid that's going to connect with this. I want to introduce it now, even though it's going to be in about 10-15 lines that we get into this, but this is a major idea that we should schmooze about outside before it gets confusing inside. And that's as follows. This is going to be the case of the Gemara. Levi lends money to Reuven. He lends Reuven $500,000. What happens is, Reuven's real estate becomes what's called Meshubed. It becomes obligated to Levi. So Levi lends a half a million dollars to Reuven... So Levi lends money to Reuven. Reuven now owes Levi a half a million dollars. And Reuven happens to own a house or any real estate of that value. So if Levi, if Reuven does not pay back Levi, Levi may now go ahead and collect the house. So far, so good? Simple case so far, I think. Yeah, Levi lends money to Reuven. Reuven owns property that can pay back Levi. So, if he doesn't pay back, that property will go to Levi. Okay. Now, here's what happened. Reuven, instead of holding on to that property and waiting to see whether whether, uh, Levi will ever collect it from him, Reuven goes to Shimon and sells Shimon that house that's worth $500,000. With Shibur. With Shibur. Okay? 
Meaning, I guarantee, if Reuven uh, says to Shimon, I guarantee, Reuven, uh, who borrowed the money, tells Shimon, don't worry about it. Don't worry about the fact that I have a half a million dollar, uh, you know, uh, lien on my property. If Levi ever comes to collect the property, I guarantee you your money back. Okay? You might want to take notes. So far, what do we have? Levi lends money to Ruvain, a half a million dollars. Ruvain has a half a million dollars in property that will be, that's a guarantee back to Levi. If I don't pay you, you're going to get this property back. Then, then Ruvain, who owes the money, goes and sells that house that's worth a half a million dollars to Shimon. Now, why would Shimon buy the house if it has a lien on it? Because Ruvain tells him, if Levi ever comes for the lien, I'll give you your money back. Beseder? Now, there's an added catch to this in that Shimon does not actually pay Reuven for the house yet. He didn't give him the money yet. So Reuven sells the house to Shimon, and Shimon's doing, we'll call it like a, a lease to own, you know? He doesn't give all the money up front. He says, oh, it's a half million dollars here, you know, uh, I, I could pay you a thousand dollars a month for the next 500 months. <laughs> all right? So he, he never really paid out the money. So we have two separate transactions here. Reuven borrowing money from Levi and Reuven selling a home to Shimon without ever receiving the payment. Everybody with me so far? Yeah? Please feel free if not. Okay. Then, here's what happens. Reuven kicks the bucket. Reuven dies. Here's the issue. A yosom, an orphan, a person who inherits an estate, biblically, this is not a practical halacha, okay, but our Gemara is going to be dealing with Daraisa. Biblically, only has to repay loans, the Yosemim only have to repay their father's loans from property that he owns. So, Reuven owed a half a million dollars to Levi. But if Reuven doesn't have any property for Levi to collect from, then his orphans don't have to pay back a half a million dollars. Nor do they have a half a million dollars, because Shimon never paid their father for the home. But they don't have any property. But here's the question. Did, does, do we look at it like Reuven still owns the home because Shimon never really paid him? Yechab held this all coming in a full circle. Do you view it like Reuven really owns the half a million dollar house because Shimon never really paid him? And therefore, Levi can come collect the house from the orphans? Or do we say that no, when somebody sells a home with a mortgage, like Reuven did to Shimon. It's as if Shimon owns it. 
he owns it. He just owes money to Reuven. If you view it like that, if you view it that Shimon owns the home, except he owes money to Reuven, guess what? Levi is up the creek because he has no property to collect his half a million dollars from. He can't collect from the orphans. All they have is cash. You can't collect it from Shimon because he doesn't owe you anything. So you're up the creek, a half a million dollars. Okay? With that introduction, this Gemara hopefully will move along smoothly, but still feel free to interrupt me with any questions. Zuck, the Gemara, three lines to the bottom of Lama Namad Beis. Itmar, we learned. Balchayv. When you have somebody who lends money. Abai Yomar Abai says, Lemafreya hu Abai says, you collect Lemafreya. Meaning, if I lend you money and you don't pay back, so I take your property, it's as if that property was in my ownership the whole time. When a bank lends money on a mortgage and they repossess the house, says Abaye, it was their house the whole time. The Rava Omar and Rava says, no. Mikanu When somebody gives a house on a mortgage, I give you a house, I lend you money, you have to pay me back, and you don't, and now I take the house back. It's not that it was my house all along. You bought the house, but since you couldn't pay me back, it's now becoming my house. So according to Rava, the lender that's taking ownership of the house, of the Nechassim Mishubadim, right, the, the, the land that's obligated to me, it's, it's becoming mine from here on forth. It's not that it was mine all along. You don't pay me, so now it becomes my house. Okay? So, a mortgage. Abaye is saying the bank owns it. And Rava saying the buyer owns it, except there's a lien on it. And if you don't pay back, it becomes the bank's lien. Okay. Says the Gemara. If a borrower, somebody borrows money and then makes it hektish, or he sells it. So I borrow a house, okay, I borrow money, and I make that money into hektish. That make money hektish. Everybody's in agreement that the original lender could come and collect the property from the buyer. So, again, uh, Reb Aaron Perel lends me, um, um, Reb Aaron Perel lends me property or sells me property and I haven't paid yet. I sell it to somebody else. You could go to that person and collect it from them because I never paid you for it in the first place. Top of today's daf. And then the lender will come, uparik, and pay back and redeem it. Now, how do you know, uh, how, do you know how this works? Now we learned in the mission. I, I lend, Rabbi Aaron lends me money. Rabbi Aaron sells me uh, a house. I never paid him for it. And then I made the house hectish. Is he up the creek? No. You know what he does? He goes to Hektish. It's, uh, you know, he makes a token donation. That's all you need is a token donation to Hektish to redeem the house. And you go, you take your house back. Keep Ligi. 
Where's there a machoikos in Abai and Rava? The Zovin Malve. Where the lender sold the property before he even had a right to collect the property. So the lender, somebody lends a million dollars. Somebody lends me five, a half a million dollars. And I don't pay back that half a million dollars. So the lender, before the loan even comes due, sells my property. Now it's not his yet. Or is it? The Kaddish Malve, or he makes it hectic. Abayi says that it's really his all along and therefore it's hectic. And since the bottom line is at the end, the borrower never paid back the half a million dollars, so Igloy Milsa that shows us all along the Mafreya de Meikar that the lender had full ownership of it the entire time, and if he makes it hectic, so even if he makes it hectic before I default on my loan, it's okay, because it was his all along. As soon as I default on my loan, it shows that it was in his domain the entire time, and if he makes it hectic, give out it. Vishapir Zavin. And it's a hectic, or it's a good sale. And Rabbi says, it's Since, if he were, would have borrowed money, have a Masalik Lubazuze, he could have gotten him out of there. So, it comes out only now, he, he uh, is Kainan. Okay, period. Let's, let's get some clarity just for a minute to rephrase it a little bit in a different way. Um, Beryl uh, borrows money for 30 days. All right? He borrows a half a million dollars for 30 days. He has a half a million dollars in property that now has a lien on it to pay back the lender. Seder? Yeah? Barrel borrows money for 30 days. He has a half a million dollars in property that now has a lien on it. If I don't pay it back, it's going to go to the lender. Here's what happened. On day 15, the lender declared... The property hectish. Now, was the loan was the loan due on day fifteen? No. But here's what happened: on day thirty, the borrower didn't pay back anyway. So on day thirty, the property defaulted to the lender. So the question is like this: if you view a lender as if the property that he has a lien on is his the whole time, so then the hectish on day 15 was a valid hectish. That's going to be Abaye. But if you hold like Rava, that a lien, on a, a, a lien on property only becomes yours on day 30 once the loan had a default, so the hectish on day 15 is not valid. Who are you to be Makade somebody else's property? That's going to be the opinion of Rava. Now that we have that halacha clear, we're going to get into the case that we started out today with. The case of Levi lending money to Ruvain and Ruvain selling his property to Shimon. And this is going to lead us to a question. Let's read through this case. I believe we got a great head start. Says the Gemara, Umi Omar Ravahachi. Is it possible that Rava can be of the opinion that when there's a lien on a property and the loan has a default, it only becomes the lenders on day 30? That was Rava's opinion. 
right? The lender makes it hektish on day 15, it's not valid because it's not yours until the default. Okay? Says the Gemara, is that possible that Rav Ataka has that opinion? Here's our question. Listen to this. But Rabbi Barchama says, Reuven Shemachar Sode Lishimin Baachrayas. Reuven sells a field to Shimon with Achrayas. Achrayas means, I guarantee you that if there's a loan, if there's a lien on what I'm selling you, I'll give you your money back. Shimon, you buy the land for me, you buy the house for me, and I'm guaranteeing you that if somebody ever shows up and takes the property, I'll give your money back. Okay. And they also agree that Shimon doesn't have to pay yet. Shimon doesn't have to pay it, okay? He's taking out a, a, a lease to buy from Reuven. So there's a guarantee, and there's a and uh, Shimon hasn't paid yet. Now, Umes Reuven. Reuven now dies. Remember the case that we started out today with. Their taco was a lien on the property because Levi had lent a half a million dollars to Ruvain. Ruvain sells a half a million dollar house to Shimon. He says, if Levi ever comes to take it, I guarantee your money back. But here's what happened. Here's the problem. Mace Ruvain, Ruvain died. He kicked the bucket. So the lender, Levi, came. Dira Uvein, the lender that Reuven owed money to came, Vitarif lay me Shimon. And he says, Shimon, give me the half a million dollar house. Reuven owed me a half a million dollars. And then he sold a half a million dollar house to you. I have a lien on this property. So what do we do? See, here's what happens. The Osa Shimon, so Shimon says, listen. He says to Levi, listen, I like my house. I like my house. Yeah, I don't want to move. Enough with moving. He tells Levi, instead of taking the $500,000 house, I'll give you a half a million dollars. I'll give you $500,000. Let me keep the house. So he's paying off Reuven's loan. Beseder? So now that he paid off Reuven's loan, Levi no longer has a lien on the property. Dinahu, the halacha is, the Asu B'nei Reuven, listen to this, the orphans of Reuven can come, the Omri Leil Shimon, and tell Shimon, Anan Metat Shavak Ovuch Gabach, you owed our father a half a million dollars, Not a, you don't owe our father a house, you owe our father money, and therefore, since you owed us money, Reuven, uh, Levi, the lender, never could have taken money from us in the first place. He never could have demanded the money. And Mamela, you still owe us money. You got what they're saying? They're saying to Shimon, oh, you think you're being so great by paying off our father's loan. Guess what? Our father's estate doesn't owe anything anyway because you had ownership of the house. And this is the only way. This is the whole catch of the Gemara. The only way that the orphans can say this is if when Shimon bought the house, 
he took ownership of the edifice and not just the value. But he actually bought the edifice, even though he has a mortgage on it. It's taka his. Now that the, if you view it like the house is taka Shimon's, so now the orphans of Reuven can say to Shimon, one second, Levi is coming to you to collect our father's loan. You know why? Because nobody owes him anything. He can't collect a $500,000 from us because we don't have property. And you're, you can't collect metaltalin. You can't collect just cash from orphans. So who are you to pay him back? You owe us the money stole for the house. The, the Amar Rava. And Rava explains how this halacha works. He says like this. Listen to Rava. He says, He says, if Shimon would be a smart businessman, yeah, if he wants to, pikeach means somebody who's keen, somebody who's shrewd. Listen to this. He says, if Shimon is smart, here's what he would do to not have to pay back the orphans. Magbi luhu ara. He should tell the orphans, oh, yeah, you're right. Hmm. Oh, yeah, you know what? Instead of me paying, you know, I owed your father a half a million dollars. Take the house. So take the house. And now that they take the house from him, the hodar gavi leminayhu. Shimon will take it right back. You know why? Listen to this. This is great. Because since when Reuven sold it to Shimon, he told Shimon, Shimon, it's your house. And if the house is ever taken away as a lien, I'll give you your money back. So now that Shimon's losing the house to the orphans, and the orphans... <laughs> so it's because of a lien... And now he could just demand it right back. The Omar of Nachman, because Rav Nachman says, that any orphans that collect real estate through a, uh, through a chayv, through a debt of their father, so the lender can now go ahead and collect it from them. Meaning, Shimon's telling the orphans, Shimon was smart, he told the orphans, all right, Instead of me taking the loss, you go take the loss. Once you have the land back, you ain't keeping it. See, either way, either way you're not winning. Okay, so here's going to be the whole question of why we're mentioning this fascinating case. Says the Gemara, the point we just made. This whole conversation only makes sense if when you lend money with a guarantee on property and you collect the property if it was yours all along. If it was yours all along, so then Shimon can say to Reuven's orphans, take the house back. And now that we say the house was theirs all along, Levi will just take the house. But if you say that Ataka wasn't theirs all along and it was Shimon's, this whole thing wouldn't work. So let's read this through. Okay? Because, and keep in mind that Rava was the one who said that when a lender collects, it's only becoming his from here on forth. It's not his retroactively. So, if you say it does work retroactively and any obligated property does go back to lender from the beginning, 
So that's why it makes sense where Shimon could say, oh, okay, take your house back and now I'll just collect the house from you because your father guaranteed me the house. Your father guaranteed me that if anybody collects the house through a loan, that I could, uh, that he'll pay me right back. Okay, so I'll give you the house and now I'll just collect the house right back from you because you don't have a half a million dollars to give back to me. It's the same as if uh, Reuben would be alive. Shimon could pull this off. But if you're going to say that when somebody lends money and they collect the property later on, it only becomes theirs from the time that the property is collected, why is Shimon allowed to take it back from Reuben's children? Why is he allowed to do that? Dummy. This is going to be as if the assignment got their own, uh, their own nechasim, um, uh, their own property. I'll explain in a minute what's happening. The ilu Are they going to owe it to the balchayv? Listen to Gemara's question. This is taking us on a. Uh, this is not a tangent. This is a new halacha that's needed. And here's the halacha. Beryl has a son. Beryl passes away $3 million in debt. Does Beryl's son need to repay the $3 million? Absolutely not. If a father dies in debt, the children need to take out their checkbooks and start paying it off? Of course not. What do I have to do with my father's debt? What do my kids have to do with my debt? Now, you could use the father's own property to pay off the debt. So let's say Beryl dies at $3 million in debt and he owns a $200,000 house. So that $200,000 house will go to pay off the debt before it goes to the orphans. But you don't go to the orphans and say, oh, uh, you have to use your own checkbook. No such thing. Absolutely not. A loss is a loss. A guy's got a $3 million in debt. And he's, he's, he has a value, a financial value of two hundred grand. When he dies, that's it. I mean, come and ton. Whoever he owes the money to has a $2.8 million loss. Says the Gemara, if Shimon is allowed to tell the sons, oh, take the house back, and you know what I'll do? Now that you took the house back and your father guaranteed that if it's ever collected because of a loan, I'll get my money back, so pay me. It's like, if the property wasn't the assignments all along, if it's not going back to father's original estate and it's becoming theirs right now, how can Shimon say, give it back to me? It's a new, it's a new uh, uh, business deal. The, the kids just got a brand new house. Nothing to do with the father. It's not coming to them through, uh, through the father's estate. If the, if the orphans are going and buying their own property, would that property go back to their father's lender? Of course not. It's not going back to a father's lender. Uh, just because I make money after my father dies, it's got nothing to do with my father. The lenders can't start knocking on my door. So why does Rava say 
that Shimon can pull this shtick if Rava originally said that a lender that collects property only owns it Mikanu Lahaba from here on forth. If that would be true, Shimon would not be able to say this to the kids. Answers the Gemara. Shiny Hossam. The case of Reuven, Shimon, and Levi is different. Diyamar Lahu. Because Shimon can say to the orphans directly, Let's keep reading. This is a famous, famous Yisait in Gemara called Shibuda de Rav If you're familiar with this, it's a very, uh, very, uh, uh, we'll call it a Yeshiva Shesugya. Yeah, this is what goes on in all these Yeshivas. It's called Shibuda de Rav What's the halacha of Rabbi Nosen? Basically, to say it out loud, outside, before we read it inside, if A lends, very simply, if A lends money to B, and B lends money to C, A can go directly to C to collect the loan. If A lends money to B, so B owes money to A. And then B lends money to C. So C owes money to B. C owes B and B owns A. So A can collect straight from C. That's called Shibuda der Avnasen. Let's read this inside. The Tanya of Nasen Aymer. Hey, you know if somebody lends his friend $100. And the fellow who borrowed $100 lends $100 to the next person. That you that uh, the original lender can take from the last borrower, you give it to the person who ultimately owns all of the money. This is dealing with an extra chaymish, is a whole different halacha when a person swears falsely about stealing. But the the bottom line for our Gemara is that the word asham means the main amount of money. However, the main amount of money gets back to its original source. That's what you got to do. Which leads us to the yeshivish joke, very yeshivish joke uh, that uh, will, will, it could be said in many ways, either in a in a refined way or a not refined way. And being that we learned beginning of Maseches Psachim to talk in a refined way, so here's here's the yeshivish joke. This is how it goes. Why did the brisker pour his cholent? Onto his pillow. Why the brisker pour his chalent onto his pillow? The answer is Shibuda Durav Nasan. Why Shibuda Durav Nasan? The answer is Shibuda Durav Nasan. What? Because the chalent goes into the person and the person goes into bed. So the chalent could go straight into the bed. That's Shibuda Durav Nasan. Right, if A impacts B and B impacts C, so A can go straight to C. So you pull your challenge straight onto your pillow. All right, that's the that's the concept of Shibud Reb Nosson, and that's the idea um, of of Rava. Why Rava saying that? Um, why Rava saying that the orphans are allowed to? Why Shimon could pull this shtick with the orphans? Period. Okay. We're done with that uh, particular. We're done with that particular, Brisa. Let's 
refocus now and remind ourselves what we're doing. Okay? I'm trying to take this daf slow and steady. It's fascinating, uh, fascinating daf with a lot of cheshbanes. So far, what we have, Rava is of the opinion, to get back to the basics, Rava is of the opinion that if somebody lends money with a guaranteed property and the loan defaults, that property only becomes the lenders from here on forth. And Abaye is of the opinion, when somebody lends money to somebody else and the loan has a default, that property has been yours the entire time. When the lender collects the property, he's actually collecting his property. It's your, as soon as you have a lien on a property, it's yours. And in order for the borrower to redeem the property, they have to pay you back. That's our buying. Okay. Now, we don't know who's right. We don't know who's right. It's a good Shiloh. Right? It's a good Shiloh. When you have a mortgage, you owe money. So is it the lenders until it's paid off, or is it the borrowers until it's not paid off? So let's go. We're up to Tanan. Tanan, we learned in the Mishnah. We're about nine lines to the bottom of Lamed Aleph, Amad Aleph. This should move along a little faster. Getting back into Pesach. Nachri Shuvasol al A guy lends money to a Yid. And he, the Yid says, I'll borrow $100 and I, you will have a lien on 11 boxes of Cheerios. After Pesach, the Yid is allowed to benefit from the Cheerios. Okay? Now, if you say that the guy who lent money to the Yid owned the Cheerios the whole time because he had a guarantee on it, so then Beseder. That's why after Pesach, the Yid is allowed to benefit because it wasn't his. It was set aside as a guarantee for the guy. But if you're going to say that when I default on a loan, if a guy lends money to a Yid, and the Yid guarantees 11 boxes of Cheerios, and he defaults on the loan, only then the Cheerios becomes the guy. Why is the Yid allowed to benefit? He owns the Chametz over Pesach. Am I mutter it was in your possession the entire Pesach. Why are you allowed to benefit after Pesach? I get the kasha. It's a question on Rava. According to you, Rava, who says that when you have a guarantee on possessions, it's only yours once it's not paid off. So then the Yid owned the Cheerios over Pesach. Answers the Gemara, Hachamai Eskinon, Kisheherhinoi Etzloi. This is talking about major idea, very important to our Mishnah. And this is talking about when the Yid actually gave the Chomets to the Goy. And since the Goy is holding on to it, it's like a collateral. That's why it becomes his. It's more than just a guarantee. There's a difference between a guarantee and a collateral. Now that we have a Machleke, Sabai and Rava, as to what is the status of a loan with a lien, who owns it? Let's say that the machlokas between these Amoram, Abay and Rava, actually was an earlier machlokas as well between Tanoyim. 
where do we find the same machlekes in previous generations? Yisrael al If a Jew lends money to a non-Jew, and the non-Jew says to the Jew, "Oh, um, you can have my eleven boxes of Cheerios as a lien." Okay, so I lend the I before the the non-Jew lent the Jew. Here, the Jew is lending a non-Jew, and the non-Jew is guaranteeing chametz. After Pesach, there's no transgression to benefit, meaning it was considered the guys all along, and it's okay. So even though there was a lien on it, it's considered the guys all along. Obviously, when I have a lien on something, it's not considered mine yet. Mishum Rabbi Meir Amru Iver. Rabbi Meir argues. He says, no, when you have a lien on something, it is yours, and therefore... You're not allowed to benefit after Pesach from the Goy's Chometz. My love, Bokamifiki. Seems to be the same Achleikas. The Marasavar, the Marfreyo, Goyve. One holds that when you, when you uh, collect from a lien, it goes back, to, it's as if it was yours the entire time. It goes back to Marfreya. It's retroactive. And therefore, if a Yid lent money to a guy with a lien, it's considered the Yid's over Pesach. Another opinion is no, it only becomes yours once the loan becomes due. And the same machlekas between Abai and Rav would be the machlekas between the Tanakama and Rebbe Meir. Says the Gemara, no, they're not necessarily the same machlekas. But Tizbara, is it logical to say that to say that that's the machlekas Tanoim Eimasayfa? Let's say the end of the Brisa it says What about the opposite case when the guy when not, we're not dealing with a yid that lends money to a guy, rather a guy lends money to a yid laachar pesach Everybody holds that if a yid allows his possessions, his, his Cheerios, to be on lean, it's going to be a transgression. It's considered But it should be the opposite. And Okay? So it must be that it's not the same. It, it, it must be that the discussion between the man and the Tanakama is a whole different discussion than Abai and Rav, because otherwise it should be tit for tat, and it's not. Says the Gemara, top of Amadez, Ella, so let's explain the Machlekas Tanayim properly. Here, what are we dealing with? Same answer we gave, and that is that it was handed over to the Chametz, was actually handed over to the lender, and therefore there was more than just a lien on the Cheerios, there actually was the Cheerios handed over as a collateral. Okay? And even when it's handed over as a collateral, they're still up for discussion as to who the owner of the Cheerios is. The Kamiflagi Bidrab Yitzchak, and there's a Machlaikas concerning a psak of Rabbi Yitzchak. Now, what does that mean? The Yama Rabbi Yitzchak. Rabbi Yitzchak said, how do we know that if I lend somebody $100 and I say, give me your watch as a collateral, I actually own the watch. I own the watch. If you happen to pay me back, I'm obligated to sell it back to you. But it's considered my watch right now. Because it says, For you, it's going to be, to, uh, for you as tzedakah, this is talking about the obligation if somebody takes a collateral in the Torah uh, from a poor person, right? He says, uh, if, let's say you take their pillow as a collateral, you've got to give it back at night. You can't hold on to it. If you never owned it, why is it called tzedakah? 
What's tzedakah? When I give something that I own to you. If I give you back that which is yours, that's not tzedakah. Tzedakah minayin. It must be that a Baal is called a Mashkin. Again, let's clarify. What is the Raya from a beautiful, beautiful halacha in the Torah? The Torah says like this. I lend somebody $10. And I take a collateral. Guy's poor. I say, okay, you're poor. Give me your pajamas. Give me your pillow. The halacha is, at night, you have to give him back his pillow. Ulecha, says the Pasuk, Ulecha When you give him back his pillow, it's tzedakah. Now, one second. If a, if a collateral is considered the borrowers the whole time, why, when the lender gives it back to him, are we calling that tzedakah? That's not tzedakah. The lender's giving back to him that which is his. Since it's saying when you give him back his pillow at night, it must be the owner, the lender, Taka, owns it. But the good Torah is obligating me in tzedakah to go give it to him every night. You can't just hold on to it when he needs something at night. The Tanakama holds giving back uh, a person's things that they need at night. Is only when is only when uh, I have a Jewish borrower and a Jewish lender. Who That's what it means for you with tzedakah. But let's say a Yisrael lends money to a non-Jew. Maybe there there's no Kenyan. Maybe there's no Kenyan because there's no obligation. from a yid, you are uh, acquiring it from a guy. It's much easier to acquire from a guy than it is from a yid. But what about a Yisrael that lends... That, let's say the, the Nachri is the lender. The Nanju is the lender. And, he, and the yid, all he has to give over to the Nanju to guarantee the loan is 11 boxes of Cheerios. That's all he has. So, everybody holds after, after Pesach. It's considered over there. Everybody will agree that it's not considered a Kenyan because otherwise it wouldn't be right? Again, what happened? The guy lent money to a yid. The yid guarantees Cheerios. We say after Pesach, no one's allowed to eat the Cheerios. It must be it remained the yids the whole time. And Mamela, since it remained the yids the whole time, it's and it's going to be Aser. Period. Okay. Now, the Gemara is going to stay on course, but focus on a different point of these halachas. Until now, we were focusing on, in general, if something has a lean on it, who owns it? And if something has a collateral on it, who owns it? Within this conversation, we just touched upon that there may be a nafkamina, there may be a difference as to who the lender and borrower are. Are we dealing with a Yisrael and a Yisrael? A Yisrael borrowing from a Nachri, a Nachri borrowing from a Yisrael. Now that we touched on 
these scenarios, we're going to delve into these situations a little bit deeper. Okay? Says the Gemara. Tanan. We learned in a mission. If a guy lends money to a Yid and the Yid guarantees his Cheerios, since the Cheerios were guaranteed to the guy, the Yid can use the Cheerios after Pesach. Because over Pesach, they, were, they had a lien on them. Says the Gemara. If the Yid handed it over to the guy, and it was in the guy's house over Pesach. So Beseder. Makes sense. Why it's considered his, the, the, why it was considered the guy's the whole Pesach. Because not only did he have a lien, he had a collateral that was in his possession. Amrit Nachri Mi like Kani. But why, why don't you say that a guy whenever he lends money to a Yid, is not kainet. What did we say just a couple of steps ago? A couple steps ago. We said, one second, a guy does not acquire a collateral of a Yid. That's what we just said. But one second. This Mishnah says directly that if the guy had a collateral of a Yid in his possession... The Yid can still use his chametz after Pesach. It must be the guy owned it. So you see, a guy does acquire ownership when they have a collateral of a Yid. Mora says, like Kasha, Ha da Amar lei me'achshav. Ha da lei Amar lei me'achshav. It depends whether we said me'achshav. Me'achshav means from now. Okay? Meaning, what's the story? Travis lent me money before Pesach. He says, Rabbi, I need a collateral. I say, all right, here's my Cheerios. And here's what I said to him. If I don't pay you back, at the end of 30 days, these Cheerios that I'm putting into your house right now are yours retroactively. If I say that, so then if I don't pay back, Ataka was the guys the whole time. Either way, it's the guys the whole time. And that's why after Pesach, it's permitted to benefit from because I said Mayachshav. And therefore, it became his a week prior to Pesach. He owns it over Pesach, no problem. But if I don't, but if at the time that I hand him the Cheerios, I don't say Mayachshav, I don't say from now, so then, Itaka would be an issue of Chomitz Sha'ovar Alav HaPesach. Okay. Gavad. Umenat Tamra. And how do you know, says the Gemara, how do you know that by me stipulating from now that it should work retroactively, how do I know that my words matter so much? We learned in the Brayso, a Nachri that gives a, uh, um, a bread um, to a Yisrael. So, I lend money to a non-Jew, and the non-Jew gives me a loaf of bread to hold on to as a, as a collateral. So it's not mine. It's the guy's. It's okay. If the guy gives it 
to the Yisrael, and he says, listen, if I don't pay you back, it's yours. Over. It's not a problem. It's like considered the Yisrael's. My shna ratio, my shna seifa. What's the difference between the ratio and the seifa? You taka see that there's a difference between whether he says meyachshav shma mina. There is there taka is a difference. Yeah, if a person says that it's going to be yours from the beginning, it's that you're going to run into issues if it's a guy giving it to a yid, and it'll be helpful when it's the yid giving it to a guy when the yid is repaying the guy and he's telling him to hold on to his chametz. If he says meyachshav. It's going to be the guys all along, and it will be permitted to benefit from, period. End of that Gemara. Bottom line is, this word, Me'achshav, when I say that it becomes yours retroactively, plays a huge role as to what the status of the uh, collateral is going to be considered. Period. Okay. The rabbis learned in Yisrael. When you have a chanos, you have a storefront that belongs to a yid. And not only does the store owned by a yid, but also the products in the uh, all the products that are there are owned by a yid. So I have a yiddish owner, but non-Jewish workers. Just because you have non-Jewish workers doesn't mean that it's not chamosh al pesach. It's, it's a problem. Certainly, you can't benefit. You can't eat. Let's say you have shnooks. So you have shnooks, and they carry kosher products, and they have yidden going in helping them stock the shelves. Even though there's yidden who helped stock the shelves. Still allowed. And certainly allowed. If it's allowed, it's certainly allowed as well. Now, the Rashi explains that what's the whole Chiddush over here? Right? You say, listen, yeah, of course, it goes by the owner. If a Yid, if a yid owns the store, so it's Chamesh Shalav HaPesach. If a guy owns the store, it's not Chamesh Shalav HaPesach. So Rashi explains that, you know, apparently there were situations where it wasn't uncommon. I believe the word is consignment, where stores, when they would sell things, they, they sell on consignment, meaning, you know, uh, you give me a product, and if it sells, we'll split the profits. If it doesn't sell, you take it back. So do I have to be concerned that maybe the Yid who's stocking the shelves made a deal with the store owner that, you know, it's really, the, the, it's a Yiddish baker. I'll put it in the store, but really it's his. Maybe I would say I have to be concerned that it was uh, a Jewish owner's over Pesach. Maybe the non-Jewish owner selling it on consignment. The answer is you don't need to be concerned about that, um, obviously, unless you know otherwise. Okay? If you talk and know that it's, uh, that it's a Yid owning it, so then you, you would run into an issue. Okay. Zok the Mishnah. Chomets, brand new situation, a lot smoother. Here we go. Chomets, let's say I have Chomets. I can't burn it. You know why? It's blocked. I can't get rid of it. You know why? Blocked. A wall fell on it. I can't get it. I push it. I can't get it. It's gone. Something that is impossible or very difficult for me to get to, it's considered like it's already destroyed. says, Um, uh, this only applies if even a dog can't get to. 
It's not dependent on whether a human could get it. Dogs apparently have longer noses. You know, they can stick the nose a little further in, right, and scrounge, scrounge around. If a dog can't get it, then it's okay. All right, Zarq Gemara, Amr of Chista, that if there's a wall blocking it um, and I can't get it, it's, it's, I don't need to burn it. But I do need to be mavatla believe. I have to say it's not mine. I right? I have to nullify it. Tana, we learned in the brayso. Kama chapizas chalup shleishetvachem. A dog could get nine to twelve inches into rubble. All right, and therefore, if it's further than nine to twelve inches into the rubble, so then you don't need to put in too much energy to pull the chametz out. Amalei ravachar beit ravesev leravashi hadam arshmok kasafim ein lehem shmir el bakarka. This, that uh, Shmuel holds, when it comes to money, the only way to guard money, to watch money properly, is to bury it in the ground. That's that, have you buried three tvachim deep or not. Okay? Now here's the halacha. If somebody deposits money by me, I have to do what's called a, a shmira pchusa. I have to do a standard shmira. I have to watch it and make sure I'm not negligent. So I say, here, can you watch $100 for me? So... I give it to David, right? David says, yeah, put it in my mailbox. So yeah, I put it in my mailbox. He leaves it in his mailbox for three weeks. Is that considered a proper shmira? No. So if it's stolen, he's negligent, he's going to have to pay me back. Right? So what's considered a proper shmira? What's considered a satisfactory watching? Shmuel said only in the ground. This that he says in the ground, does that mean three tfachim in the ground or not? When... Uh, we're dealing with food that dogs like to smell. It's got to be three tfachim deep. When it comes to money, however, it does not need very three tfachim deep because it's not a matter of smell. It's a matter of people noticing it. And therefore, it doesn't need to be buried three tfachim deep. You want to uh, watch money properly and bury it in a set place in the ground. How deep does it need to be? It's got to be one tefach deep that suffices to be considered a proper shmira and we're up to the second mishnah five lines to the bottom of the daf and we will hold it here brand new mishnah brand new, brand new sugya and we will pick up from here be'ezes hashem tomorrow evening